Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Going to read verses 1 uh, through 14. The Bible says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised and dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness but unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace." Title of this message this morning, Walking in Newness of Life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privileges ours to open thy precious word. Thank you, Father, for, again, safety and protection through this storm. And uh, we do pray that those that are, that are continually in harm's way, that you protect them, watch over them. We do pray as we look into the word of God now, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and give us understanding and wisdom, and we rightly divide thy truth. And I pray that we'd make application to our own lives. For our good and for thy glory, we do pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> you the modern or contemporary, that means, you know, modern, or typical Christian of today believes as taught by many that we are saved by grace and how we live really doesn't matter. That's typical Christian philosophy today, quote unquote. The doctrine of practical holiness in life is outdated or considered archaic. Here's another time. You know, one lady said to Pastor Green when we started this church, I remember it so clearly, it just lives up the road from us. She said, we aren't in the 90s. What difference does that make? Anyway, Romans 5 declares what we have in Christ. We have justification by faith. And chapter 6 declares what we are. You know, what we have will not do us any good unless it translates into practical living. You know, we are to continue to progress in our Christian life. You know, chapter 5 answers the question of guilt. Chapter 6 declares that we have now power over our passions. 
You know, God has extended to us His abounding grace, as we saw in chapter 5 and verse 20. It says, more of the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So we have an abundance of grace given to us by God. And so the question is asked then, in here in chapter 6, do we continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul said, of course, God forbid, we would say it like this, perish the thought. And really, the Lord answers through the Spirit of God and through His Word with three ye's in this, in this passage. First in verse 3, know ye. And then in verse uh, 11, reckon ye. And then in verse 13, yield ye. So there's three ye's. Know ye, reckon ye, and yield ye. We're going to look at those three ye's this morning. First of all, know ye. Verse 3, he says, know ye not. That so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. You know, we, God wants us to know ye. He says, know ye. There's no reward for ignorance. There's no reward for ignorance. The Bible says in, in several places, for example, in 1 Corinthians 10.1, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. How all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. In 1 Corinthians 14, or verse 38, But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. In other words, if he desires and wants and will not be taught, let him be ignorant. So like those that oppose themselves, you've got to let them go. You know. I heard about sensual this morning. And 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow or not, even as others have no hope. Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.8, Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years are as one day. 1 Thessalonians 5.6, he says, Therefore, let us not sleep. And the word sleep there means to be indifferent. Just indifferent. Don't care. Don't want to know. As others do, let us watch and be sober. So God wants us to know the things that pertain to godliness and virtue and the things that pertain to this life. And there's some things He wants us to know. We need to know you, first of all, the purpose or symbolism of baptism. You know, if baptism doesn't save you, why do you get baptized? Why get baptized? It doesn't earn you, it doesn't earn you any points toward salvation. So why get baptized? Well, there is a purpose to baptism. Of course, the word baptize or baptism means to dip or to immerse. Uh, you know, we do bring them back up too then. But, but, uh, and there are three metaphors here or word pictures to explain. And it explains that it pictures a death. First of all, a death. There's three, three words here that he wants us to know. First of all, Buried. Notice in verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism as under, uh, in the death. We are buried. Uh, Christ died. And of course Christ died. It says we are buried with him. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so we also should walk in newness of life. So we are, we are buried. 
the Bible says here that we are buried with him by baptism. With him. You know, Christ died to pay for the sin of the old man, its nature and its deeds. And our sin, as it were, is buried with him. It's buried with him. So we have the word buried. We have this, a second picture here is the word planted together. Notice in verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, you know, I'm not a scientist, but when I do know this. When you plant, you bury it. Planting is a burial. I mean, if we, if we didn't get our corn under the surface, it wasn't very likely it was going to grow. So we had to bury it. Uh, you know, you bury a seed and you're expecting it to spring forth into new life. You know, 1 Corinthians 15.44 says, It is sown a natural body, is raised a spiritual body. Of course, they're talking about the resurrection. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Jesus said in John 12.24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So when you plant a seed in the ground, it dies to give life. It dies. So again, you have the picture of burial and death. The seed dying. And then the third word he gives us, or the metaphor here is, crucified with him. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, there's that phrase again, with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So again, crucifixion, of course, speaks of death. You know, this was the, the, the a common... Uh, Death for the criminals in the, in the Roman Empire was they crucified them. And, and so, uh, again, it speaks of death. You know, and that is the symbolism of baptism. When a person is baptized, the message they are giving to the world is, I am dying. I am dying. I'm dying to sell. You know, this was easily understood in the early church. And still is in some parts of the world. Because it pictures a cutting off of the old life with its passions, its false religion. You know, the Jews in those early churches understood this very very, very vividly. You know, Peter said to, in Second or Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he told the Jews to repent and be baptized. You know, it was a renouncing. To them to be baptized was a renouncing of Judaism. It was a renouncing of the temple worship. It was renouncing of that. It was a cutting off. It was saying, I'm done with this old, old way. And you think about it, that was the reason for the great need in Jerusalem at that time. You know, there wasn't a dearth until later. 
But the reason that Barnabas sold land and brought the money of it and laid it at the apostles' feet was because those, many of those who had been baptized had lost what they had. Because they had renounced Judaism and the temple worship. And if they, if they, had, if they had ties to family, they were cut off. If it was children, they were cut off, disinherited. See, they they knew it meant dying to self. That's That's what baptism pictures, a burial, a death. Of course, baptism also pictures life, new life. And again, there's three words that he uses to describe the life or the resurrected life or new life. And, of course, that is in verse 4. He calls it newness of life. Notice verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Newness. It's a newness Newness of state or condition. It is different than the old life. You know, the Lord gives meaning and purpose and direction to life. We are not without a guide or a standard. You know, the world has no standard or consistency. Because they're without God. They're without an authority. The source of truth or law. But we have a, we have a, a direction for life. A philosophy of life that directs us and guides us. It's a newness of life. It is resurrection likeness. Notice verse 5. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. What does it mean to be in the likeness of his resurrection? Well, let me try to illustrate this way. In Acts chapter 4, in verse 13, it says, When now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Now, this is the same guy, Peter, who before was afraid and embarrassed to be identified with Jesus. I mean, he was embarrassed. Embarrassed to the point that he even denied he knew him or was associated with him. Not once, not twice, but three times. And here he is. He's as bold as Jesus was. And, you know, I have to imagine those Pharisees must be thinking, hmm, we thought we got rid of him. That is Jesus but they're just like him. They're just like him. Preaching the same thing. Demonstrating the the same power of God and boldness. Demonstrating the same love for sinners. They're just like him. In the likeness of his resurrection. See, they now had resurrection life. A newness of life. 
And they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. There's a third word here, and that is the word destroyed. If you notice in verse 6, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now the word destroyed means to render idle. It doesn't mean to annihilate. It does not mean. Our, our old nature, we're talking about our old nature here, our old nature is not annihilated. It doesn't cease to exist. But it means to render idle or unemployed. You know, inoperative or inactive. You know, when a person's unemployed, they're out of work. And so the idea here, your body as an instrument of sin is out of work. It's out of work. That's the idea. And so when, you, when a person is baptized, they're, they're testifying to the world that I'm dying to self and I'm putting my body as an instrument of sin out of business. Out of business. That's the message. And God, God says you need to know the purpose or the symbolism of baptism. Know ye. Secondly, reckon ye. Reckon ye. Notice verse 11. It says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, reckon, we need to reckon the old man dead. And the word reckon means to account or to compute. Now, the first part we talked about, know ye, has to do with information. You know, you, you gain information. Now, here we're talking about calculation. You know, the knowledge we possess, so the knowledge that we possess or we learn is to become the basis of definite and decisive action. You know, just like an accountant, he will take an account of figures from which he gets his balance. And by that balance, he determines the exact status of his accounts, and from those accounts, the condition of his business. So from his calculations, he determines the condition of his business. When we look at the Christian figures in our account, the things said about our union with Christ, I mean, we are dead to sin, buried and raised up to walk in newness of life, we should not serve sin. We're freed from sin. These are all phrases used in this passage here. Freed from sin. And we should live unto God. We are to reckon it so or account it so. And we have the privilege and to, to, to a new and victorious life. We need to reckon it so. So we need to reckon that we are dead. Now, notice verses 7 and 8. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And then verse 11 again, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. So we need to reckon ourselves dead. Uh, one commentator said this, quote, In the atonement Christ died, and we were seen to have died with him. Unquote. So, we died under the sin for which he, he died. 
Therefore, it is not necessary for us to submit to that sin. Now, I know this is going to be a very profound statement, so listen, listen carefully. But dead people do not sin. Dead people can't be arrested for crime. Dead people don't even tell lies. And the Bible says here that we are, that we are dead. Verse 8. Now, we be dead with Christ. We are to reckon it so. It is a fact with God. It's a fact with God. Now, again, this one commentator said this. Reckoning is not acting as if it were so. It is acting because it is so. It's not pretending. You know, some people will act like, you know, maybe there's a problem in the, between them, but they act like everything's okay. It's an act. This is not just an act. It is so. We are dead indeed. Christ has paid the penalty for my sin, past, present, future. We're dead to it. And he's given me the privilege to have power over sin. You know, many, many people you know, uh, uh, act like they have never sinned. That's false optimism as well. Now, we're not to act as if, but because it is an act on the facts. See, Christ died for our sins, and we are dead with Christ. Our sin is dead with him. So we need to reckon that we are dead indeed unto sin. But we also need to reckon that we are alive unto God. Notice verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, being dead to sin is only the half of the equation. That's the negative, And that removes the penalty. We are declared alive unto God, and that is the positive, that's the source of power. Notice again verse 11, the end of that verse, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, somebody said that strength and power always lies in the realm of life. Flowers open toward the sun, but only one flower follows the sun continually. And that's the sunflower. We need to be like the sunflower, keeping the source of life in constant view. And of course, our source of life is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the source of our power. He's the source of our strength. He's the source of our, our, our ability to be alive unto God. John 1.4, the Bible says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 1, 9, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Colossians chapter 1, verses 3, 1 through 4, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, I'm sorry. If ye be risen, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth, 
For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. You see, then we be continually directing ourselves like the sunflower toward the sun. The son of God. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So, you know, he is the source of our strength and power to live life unto God. Someone asked George Mueller the secret of his distinguished service to Christ. If you've never read George Mueller's biography, you need to read it. But George said this, quote, There was a day when I died. Utterly died. Died to George Mueller, his opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world, its approval, and censure died to the approval or blame of even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied to show myself approved unto God. Unquote. You know, when you are dead to sin and alive unto God, what others do? really doesn't matter it really doesn't matter when temptation comes your way you say I'm dead injury I'm dead insult I'm dead you know dead men don't exhibit bad tempers are not vindictive do not respond to the desires of an evil solicitor. You know, it's pretty difficult to offend a dead man. Psalm 119, 165 said, says, Great peace have they that love thy Lord, and nothing shall offend them. See, because of our penalty for our sin is removed in the death of Christ, we are empowered by his resurrection to live unto God. And we need to reckon ourselves dead unto sin. Dead with Christ. If we've received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we need to reckon ourselves dead with him. But alive unto God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, know ye, reckon ye, and thirdly, yield ye. Notice verse 13 and verse 14. It says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, you're not under the law but under grace yield ye the word yield here means to present or show it has the idea of exhibiting in fact it's the same word 
used in Romans 12.1, where the Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's the word present there. It's the same Greek word. And again, it means to show or to exhibit. And, and God wants us, God's desire, what he's saying here is, we are to be living exhibits of our Lord. We are to be instruments of righteousness. Now this inst- word instruments is an interesting word as well. It really is refers to weapons. Weapons. Arms in warfare. We all we men all like that idea. But we are to yield ourselves as weapons in the Lord's army. That's the idea here. We are weapons in the Lord's army. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4. 2 Corinthians 6, 4 says, But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by longsuffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, notice, by the armor, and that's the same word, armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. You see, when you and I yield our bodies to the Lord, we're giving our bodies, what we're doing is is giving our bodies as a living demonstration of what God's children ought to look like. As a living demonstration of the glory of God. Did you ever say this? Now, don't raise your hand because I'd have to raise mine. I just wish they'd quit looking at us. Why do they always ask God? You know, you know that's really a dumb statement to make as a child of God, because that's what we're here for. We're here to show. We're not here to put on a show. It's not about us. We're here to show or demonstrate to the world what God is like. Someone texted me here not too long ago, apologized for unloading on me. I said, you don't need to apologize. God's called me to be the minister of gospel. To minister to help people. And if I can be privileged to help you, I would gladly do it so that maybe you can then help somebody else. 
mean, that's what we're here for. And, and really, and what he's saying here is, when we, when we are yielded to God, we are, like, we are like weapons in God's army. We are in a warfare. We're in a spiritual war. And we are like weapons for the Lord. Fighting the battle of the, the Lord's battle. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 3, verses 2 and 3. Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men, forasmuch as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but in the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, and when he, Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, and this was a church, of course, almost all these churches in the New Testament were started under stress or duress or affliction, persecution. And yet, Paul says of them in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7, Ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. So they were in samples. In other words, they were, they were weapons in the Lord's army, and, and they, were, they, were putting, they were showing to those people around in that area the glory of God. This is, this, is, this, is, this is about our God. Again, you're in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. The Sanhedrin took knowledge of Peter and John that they'd been with Jesus. But in Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, after they've been beaten, it says they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Yet they had rejoiced. They had presented their bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. And they departed after they had been beaten, rejoicing because they were dead. Self. They had yielded themselves to God as a living sacrifice. And they were happy. They were praising God. That they were counted worthy. In other words, you know, they had just been used. Oh, they had been abused. But they had just demonstrated to everyone that watched the power and glory of God. You know, what typically would men do if they were beaten unjustly? Would they not curse their persecutors? But not these guys. And you know what, you know what happened? 
the church grew and multiplied. Because they had yielded their bodies as a spectacle. You know, Paul said at one point, we are like, we are like a spectacle to the world. We are to be yielded as an instrument of spiritual warfare in the Lord's army. Look at, look at Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. You know, this, is, this, this principle is taught throughout the Bible, but baptism makes it very plain, but it's taught elsewhere as well. But second, or Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So we're not. We're to die to self. We're to have yielded to the Lord, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So the Lord says, we need to yield as instruments as weapons. And we are to let the Lord, you know, the weapon is, is, is an inanimate object. You know, a gun has no life in itself. It can only be used by somebody else. And we're to be an instrument or a weapon in the hand of the Lord. We are to allow the Lord to use us in whatever way he desires and is glorified. You know, George Mueller, George Mueller was known all over the world. how did he get that way his life has been an example to generations of Christians after him he never sought that he never sought it he never planned for that it just happened it happened because he yielded his life to whatever the Lord and whatever the Lord would use him for. He gave his life to be used up. Used up by the Lord. By the way, we all know who Stephen is too, don't we? He gave his life to be used up. 
See, know ye, we need to know and understand. Symbolism of baptism, and it meets death and resurrection. And we need to reckon it so. It is a fact that we need to act on. And then we need to act by yielding our life to our Lord and our Savior. That he might be glorified. By our earthly instrument, this body. Have you yielded your life to him? Are you walking in newness of life? 